Hey there. Welcome to Twins Talk Clear-Cut Communication. Yes, we are twins. And yes, we are two old guys who should know better than to try to tackle the topic of communication in a podcast. But we're going to do it anyway, and hopefully you'll find it informative and maybe even enjoyable. Hey, we're coming to you from Wanker's Corner. No, we are Wanker's Corner. (laughs) You realize that in Great Britain, you've just been very vulgar. Yes, deep trash talk. In fact, I was thinking of Ted Lasso. With serious stuff on his show where he gets called wanker at least four or five times an episode, right? Yeah, that's kind of a Roy Kent thing. Yes. So my wondering is, how did Oregon get a town that we're now in called Wanker's Corner? That's a good question. Yeah. And my thinking is, we're not wankers. We're not going to be that. We're we're just not going to go there. Well, you can't claim not to be a wanker. That's a title that's given to you. (laughs) That's not something you can assigned to yourself or dismiss. Ah, that's others who will identify you as that if necessary. There you go. Well, I'm going to resist at least being called that. And I won't call you that during the show. Thank you. Yeah. Now, maybe after the show or in some other context. If I find out, it's a problem. (laughs) Oh, well, we are still working on emotionally charged communication situations. And I think there's probably two episodes left regarding this emotionally charged communication. And one is more of a business organizational sense in which performance reviews are done. And both you and I agree that almost by definition, not by desire, but by definition, formal performance reviews have an emotional charge to them. And you're going to maybe talk why, because I see you as the expert in this area. And then the episode after this one, we want to talk about parental communication. <laughs> I was laughing and thinking almost every parental communication is emotionally charged by the nature of dealing with kids and the kind of emotion that gets created when parents and children interact. But we'll save that for the next episode. So on this one, we're going to talk about formal performance reviews. And I think what I'd like to do is maybe explore that from both the person who is giving the review and from the person who's receiving the review. Because in both instances, there is an emotional charge to them. So why don't you take a couple of moments and unpack what maybe the context is or why the formal performance review is so emotionally charged? Well, one of the things for those of you who are listening who've never had to deliver one because you're not in a position to or you've not been required to, uh, you're going to have an insight, get kind of an insider knowledge of what this process looks like. Or because you've chosen to stay off the grid. We've got a lot of people in our audience who just choose to stay off the grid. Right, our felony audience. That's right. They don't want to supervise and they don't want to be supervised. That's right. They don't want to get involved people that way. Well, in most organizations, performance reviews are annual events. And unfortunately, that means that you've got to schedule all of the people who report to you to have one of these performance reviews. And generally, you set aside an hour and you're going to give people information related to their productivity, their efficiency, their output. For a whole year. Mm. Well, that in itself is untenable. I mean, for you to be able to recall a year's worth of work, 2,000 hours of work for someone and deliver that in one hour presentation, when probably much of that work while you've been 
having some oversight, you haven't been that closely involved in it, but you're still trying to deliver meaningful information feedback related to their activity. Well, it is negative for both parties. Mm. For the person delivering, it feels so onerous to collect all of that information in some kind of coherent picture that has utility for the person that you're going to deliver it to. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it really creates this inertia where most managers just resist the task as much as any task they have. Mm. So that's the starting point. The person delivering it generally doesn't feel good about it at all. And what about the person receiving it? How would you assess that? Well, I think in large measure, the person receiving it, any of us, when we're going to be assessed and we think that what we're going to hear is someone else's judgment of our performance, Mm -hmm. someone else's picture of us, even star performers, even people who are really strong will often wonder, well, they're going to have to pick out something. They're not going to be all positive. So I'm wondering what they're going to say that they'll feel not pleased with. So there's some fear. And for the average to poor performers, this is tantamount to a verbal lashing. Mm. And their concern is it could actually cost me my job. I mean, the worst case scenario is I'm going to get a performance review that puts me on notice that my job is at risk. Yes. So they're uneasy. Very few people go into these conversations feeling upbeat. Oh, this is going to be good. I'm going to enjoy this. I'm going to feel good about this. You know, and the interesting thing you're saying, and I, I've certainly been exposed to performance reviews and seen them done and been asked my opinion as a consultant on them. Find what you said to be, it may be the most onerous task on both person's parts in an entire year. And I have to confess, there's been some managers I've worked with that when they've talked about it, they are so in a turmoil just about doing it. So right. I, I hear you. So, and, and the other thing is that this one hits the book. When you're getting informal feedback or you're getting a review that isn't performance review in an annualized sense, that generally doesn't appear anywhere else. That's a conversation. Mm-hmm. But this one actually hits the books. This one lands in yes. your permanent file and it follows you. Yes. It's like a grading system after school that where you're going to get graded. And for most of us, again, that can be a somewhat fearful experience. That said, and I think you've done a great job of laying out how difficult and how complicated and how onerous, we keep using that word, this particular interaction is, what are things that the person providing the review can do to mitigate both the content and the emotion involved? My one rule for me, which is hard and fast. A rule? Yeah. You're not not that much of a rules guy. No, I'm not. But this is an axiom. An axiom. Right. This is a true truth. If you're delivering a performance review, and this is the first time the person who's receiving it hears the information, something's gone terribly wrong and it's on you. Mm. There should be no new news in this. I mean, if what you're delivering takes the receiver by surprise, you haven't done your job. And that's the area that causes the greatest angst is all of a sudden I'm in this performance review and I'm hearing things no one's ever told me. Mm. I'm hearing things about my performance months and months ago that I never knew that occurred. So the one thing that really is a starting point in terms of the idea of dealing with the emotionally charged nature is there should be no surprises. Exactly. What that says to me is if you're doing your job, you're giving your people feedback on their performance regularly enough and with a cadence that when it comes to the point in the year that you're going to deliver this review, it's not new news to them. Mm -hmm. It's a summation. It is not new. To the degree that we've done our job as the supervisor, we can actually go in and 
and say, this should not be new news to you. And to the person who's walking in as on the receiving end, they should be thinking after a year or two of doing these, I'm not going to get new news. Exactly. Okay. Uh, I believe in this so strongly that any manager that delivers information to one of their direct reports in an annual review that's brand new is surprising. The manager has not done the job. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because I should never be telling someone who reports to me something they've never heard before. Now, if it's something on positive end, they'll take that and they'll feel good about that. But even then, my question managers, why would you not tell the person this positive news when it occurred so it could have the maximum impact? Mm-hmm. Why would you leave it to the point where now it feel good, but it won't change the person's behavior that much? Mm-hmm. I call it a rule. I call it an axiom. When you deliver a performance review, you better not be saying anything that that person's eyes light up and say, that's new to me. So the axiom concept really comes from your mathematical background, geometry? Probably. You were good in geometry. I was great. I taught it. That's right. Sure. So we're introducing mathematics to this conversation. (laughs) It's not just about communication. We're doing axioms here. True, true. Now, another thing I think that in terms of delivering a performance review, I think there is merit when possible, and the system may require it, is that you give the person a chance to look it over before you have the conversation. Mm -hmm. So they're not trying to process all the information you're delivering right on the spot. I think there Mm -hmm. is some merit to it. If I've got something to say to the person in terms of their annual review, it's going to be in print, it's going to be in a folder, then I prefer to give them access to that in advance Mm -hmm. so they can look at it, so they can... Again, and they will ask questions. How did that come about? What do you mean here? What took place that caused you to feel this? And and I think that's a legitimate part of that conversation. Now, what I also will say, though, is that when you're delivering a performance review, you should never allow it to turn into a debate. Mm. It's a bit different of a conversation in that the initial piece is a monologue. Mm. And that's me picking up the highlight that I want to focus on. Mm things I feel are the most important that this person really get a chance to converse about. So I think the first moments are monologue. So the review is not open to opinion. The review is not open to conversation. The review is done, but they can talk about, well, what does this mean? Or how did we get there? Those kinds of conversational points. But we are not working together to develop a review. Exactly. We're not going to put together something that satisfies both of us. And unfortunately, I think a lot of managers do that as a way out. Hmm. They try to present this, and then where the person has problems with it, then try to create a conversation which they make a compromise. So in writing, it looks more favorable Ah. or less damaging. And I think that that lacks integrity. If you felt the performance was not adequate, that needs to be said and not compromised. Now, I do think there's room once that monologue is delivered to say, okay, now I'd like to hear your view on this. Is there anything in here that you feel is not fair? It does not accurately describe a picture of your normal behavior. Hmm. Now, and in that case, if in the course of a conversation, I realize, oh, I missed something. I didn't realize that was the backdrop. Then I can say, well, I'll go back in and I'll edit that piece. So there is room for conversation. But I'm also hearing you say in these performance reviews, There's not room to negotiate. Right. We're sensing they're reacting negatively and the emotional charge nature of the conversation is going up. That's not in the point in time where you back down in order to reduce the emotion. Right. So what you're saying, you need to stay with it. This is something that you've decided and you need to work through it versus saying, I'm going to back off of it and cause it to feel more comfortable. And maybe I provide the structure up front to say, 
Uh, I'd like to approach this by sharing with you highlights of this review that I think are important that you get a chance to hear from me. And uh, until that's kind of concluded, I'd like you to just let me go on and address those. And then when those are done, there will be time for you to ask questions and for us to sort out anything you think might need attention. Mm -hmm. But I don't allow it to turn into a dialogue or a conversation early because that will inevitably end up in debate. Ah, yeah. Okay. And they're going to try and justify things. And the last thing I want to do is spend time in someone trying to talk me out of events. The goal is to be fair, is to be accurate. But my goal is not to come to some agreement on my view of that performance. Now, have you ever seen a, a performance review go badly or heard of it in terms of some of the folks you've worked with where, you know, one of your supervisors came in and said, this just went south on me. I just didn't manage it well. Oh, yeah. My guess is, and this is a, a pretty broad generalization, but my guess is up to 50%, 60% of the reviews never in satisfactory. <laughs> oh, that's bad. Okay. Yeah. And that's a combination of the poor delivery, mm-hmm. the lack of focus and the lack of preparation. and okay, I'm going to get down and do this like it's a, an essay that I have to write in the last moment. And when you do that, I think as a leader, you're asking for trouble. Mm-hmm. You, you won't be able to defend most of that if you're just writing it kind of off the top of your head in the last two days before you have to deliver it. Mm-hmm. I think most performance reviews are so fraught with negative energy that, yeah, I would think a good percentage go badly. When I say go badly, I don't know that they, they end up in a scuffle, but I do think that Obviously, there are some that they explode. It's all new news and it's all negative and they're not going to stand for it. And you're going to find that particularly true with older staff. They won't put up with that. Hmm. They've had years of experience and they've been accepted and viewed as an asset. And then you want to lean on them in a performance review. They're not going to put up with that. Mm-hmm. Now, young people could explode because it's a brand new phenomenon, but they don't have any experience to say, well, I know better. They're new. The fact that they can go bad so quickly says to me, if you're in that position, you need to prepare. You need to be alert to these ideas. Don't wait. Don't try to accumulate everything in the last week over a full year. I mean, you're doing one week's preparation for a 52-week year, and that's going to cause problems. So a safeguard, if I'm in that position where I have to do formal performance reviews, one thing we've heard is you should be giving feedback all year long. And this review should not be new news to anybody. And it's just simply a continuation of that. Exactly. Second key to head that off and create a safeguard is to be well prepared going into it, to have done your homework, to have written the review, provided that copy to the person coming in, and you prepared. You're just not walking through this blind. You're setting it up by saying, I'm going to share the review, and then we'll have a chance to talk about this. So that's the context. That's the structure for review that has a better chance of succeeding than starting off and creating an environment in which there's potential debate, which is not constructive. Your foremost goal is accuracy. Hmm. Performance reviews rarely help the relationship. (laughs) They're mostly not relational. And that's something you also need to be conscious of. Hmm. If you think you're trying to improve the relationship by giving these reviews, it's very hard to do. I think the nature of the review is it's to provide accurate information about a performance that's going to go on file and follow this individual. It's going to be a part of their history. So accuracy is very critical. And I'm hearing you say that harmony is not one of the goals of a formal performance review. You may seek harmony in your interactions with your subordinates throughout the year, But that's not a goal of this particular encounter. 
And, and which says to me that if I'm a manager and I'm using any information that's third-party hearsay, I've created a problem. Mm. Well, someone said this about your performance or someone said that. Ah. Any of that kind of information that you're using is really dangerous. Mm-hmm. It's a liability. You need to have firsthand or you need to have verified evidence of behavior to deliver this review properly. Now, to your best performers, this ought to be a positive perk that follows them forever. Mm. How well you think of them. And, and I think with someone who you're going to give this very positive, glowing review to, the wording can be a little more warm mm. to create that sensation of your regard. Mm-hmm. But for the others, it has to be very sterile and very accurate. We're getting very close to time. And I guess one of the things I would want to say that I'm hearing in this whole conversation is that a formal performance review is not designed in the end to reduce the emotionally charged character of the situation. We don't want to address it directly. That is, we want to address the content. What we're really pushing for here is to make sure the person has got a clear picture of what it looks like. And if the emotion goes up in the room, we need to be aware of that. But we don't necessarily need to try to reduce it. We may not be able to do much about it, but we're just going to be clear about what we're sharing. The main goal of a performance review is to provide accurate information, and then we can deal with some of the emotional fallout in some later moment. Is that what I'm hearing you say? That is what you hear me say. In some organizations, they allow the recipient to add notes Mm. before it becomes final, Mm. which is to say, if I take issue with an event that might be cited, or I take issue with a number that might be cited, I'm often allowed to add an addendum to the review and sign off on it that says, this is my view of it. I understand why some organizations would do that, I'm I'm never quite sure where I land on that, Hmm. because I think that creates, again, this kind of informal debate on the review, Hmm. and I'm always concerned that that does not end well eventually. Well, and it may be nothing more than giving people an opportunity to have their say, to have their voice. It's not going to change anything, but at least their voice has been recorded. Well, we are at a stopping point, and this conversation, as all of our conversations seem to be so surprising in terms of how quickly we get to a place where we have to end. Next episode, we will go on to parents and that parental communication and how that maybe can be improved in terms of dealing with the emotional character of the conversation. Sounds good. The twins are done talking for today. Now it's your turn. We'd love to hear from you with feedback regarding today's theme or situation you'd like us to step into during a future session. You can reach us at twintalk46 at gmail.com. Remember, no communication problem is so big, so complicated, or so intense that we can't make it larger, more complex, or more dangerous than it already is, almost effortlessly. And we'd like to thank Kevin McLeod for the score that both began and ended this podcast.